Welcome to the SDLHighSchoolSports.com Friday Night Football Show. I'm your host, Dave Quito. Thanks so much for tuning in. It's episode 7, and it's a good one if I do say so myself. Today's guest is Hazelwood Central football coach and Super Bowl champion, Kerry Davis. He's going to join us to talk about preparing his team for the spring season, his college and professional career, and what it means being the first blackhead football coach at Hazelwood Central. Steve Overby is going to drop by and talk softball Final Four with some insights into the Webster Groves team making its first semifinal in school history and the challenge ahead for perennial contender Marquette as it travels to powerhouse Rock Bridge. Paul Kopsky will have all the scores and highlight performances from the final week of the regular season, and our intrepid reporters will be calling in to discuss what they saw at their games tonight. Among the games we'll discuss are Eureka at Kirkwood, Rock Bridge at Francis Howell, and Marquette at Fort Zumwalt North. All that and more right here on the stlhighschoolsports.com Friday Night Football Show. I'm now joined by Hazelwood Central football coach, Carrie Davis. Thanks for joining us on the stlhighschoolsports.com Friday Night Football Show, man. We appreciate it. I appreciate it, too. Thank you for having me. So you're you're, uh, part of the group that's going to play spring football, under the uh, the alternative season offered uh, by the Missouri State High School Activities Association, what what's it been like this fall for you and the Hawks, man? Uh, you know what? It's it's one thing I, I try to always you know make sure our kids know is that in life, some things sometimes things come up and you either fold and complain under under the circumstances or you rise above it and you move on and you do what you can do uh, to the best of your ability. So I think that's just what we've been doing. I mean, we've been, you know, we've known that this was going to be uh, kind of the, the, the game plan for a long time now. Um, so we, we've adjusted to it. We're, we're preparing ourselves as best as possible for when we get our opportunity to get out there. And what does that look like for preparations and practice or, or team meetings? Like, What are you able to do right now as a group? Well, we, we do a lot of Zoom meetings, uh, Zoom calls. I actually just got off a, a, a call with the with position group um, going over some plays. So we've been doing that pretty much uh, since we, we found – well, since school started. And we knew that we were, we were uh, you know, not – we knew that we were not going to be playing at that moment. Uh, we've been doing the Zoom calls and, and staying busy and staying ready as best as possible. I mean, it's, a, it's, the, it's the best you can do with the circumstances that are, that are given to you. Um, so I think our kids have done a very, very good job of, of accepting it and um, you know pushing through it and, and getting better every single day. And we, we talked to Howard Brown last week, the McClure coach. I, I'll ask you, how do you feel about spring football? Is that something that, that, that excites you or is, is it going to be weird? How do you feel yeah. about it? And football is football. You get a line and you get a ball <laughs> and, and line us up, man. It don't matter where it is, when it is, who it is. We're going to go out there and give our best effort. So, um, you know, the time of year, the date, the, the the weather, none of that matters. We just – just the opportunity to get out there and play ball is always a blessing. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's certain things that you can take from this situation. And one thing I keep telling my kids is when you're out there playing football, when you're in the weight room, when you're in the classroom, um, anytime you have an opportunity to give your best, give it. Because you don't know when it can be taken away from you. And that's kind of what happened to us. We didn't know. Uh, when we played our game against Francis Howell, that we would not be playing again the following fall. So, you know, you got to give your your best every single time you're out there and and not expect that, oh, I got another ch- opportunity that's going to come around. Because that opportunity may be taken away for, for a multitude of reasons. 
So I've, I've asked other guests who, who've been on the show, coaches, I'll ask you, uh, you you played uh, four years at Illinois and and mm-hmm. had a, a six-year uh, NFL career. Do I have that? Six years? Uh, yep, yep. So what is that like not knowing when your last snap is going to be? And, and how did that perspective <laughs> change for you at, at now in this position as opposed to when you were you were playing for Hazelwood Central in the late 90s? I, I'm curious um, just how different the world is from, from senior who's got the whole world in front of him. To, to coach who's now trying to get those guys to see what's up. Well, I, I think that the fact that, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to earn a scholarship to the University of Illinois. I was fortunate enough to, to work my butt off and play in the NFL. Um, I know what it takes to get there, but I also know that it will end at some point. Mm-hmm. I don't care who you are. It doesn't matter, you know, if you're a, a 10-time pro bowler, 15-time pro bowler. At some point, you will stop playing football. It may be after high school. It may be after college. If it may be one game in the NFL, you never know. Um, so my perspective is always we have to take care of our business off of the field. That has to be the main focus, being, being, being a good student, being a respectful young man, taking care of your business, treating people with, uh, with kindness and respect, um, and, and just being an overall good, good person will always outlast anything you do on a, on a football field, a basketball court, you know, whatever, whatever sports field you're in. So those are the things that, that we, we do, we teach. We teach them about being young men that will eventually become grown men that will have families of their own and, and have to, and have those responsibilities. Um, so we, we, we definitely stay on them about those things. Um, football is just a vehicle that's going to, if you're fortunate enough, drive you to, to a multitude of places. Um, but, but for the most part, all of those other things are what's going to get you by in life and doing the right things will always um, be beneficial for you. So football is unique in that you, you can't go the YMCA as a 40-year-old guy and decide we're going to play tackle football <laughs> today. You know, like basketball, you right. can do that. I mean, all, there's people run until their 80s, for God's sake. So, yeah. I mean, is there a part of you that wishes you could buckle your chin strap, throw some oh, pads on, no, and go go no, play no. at all? No, sir. No, sir. <laughs> My- <laughs> no, sir. I have no uh, no need or no want to, to put a helmet and shoulder pads on anymore. Um, I don't think my body would agree with me the following day or maybe 10 minutes after I took those pads off. So I have no need to do that. Um, I just enjoy watching these young men and, and, and watching them perform and get better every single day and, and at their craft. It's, in, it's something that I enjoy, um, you know, watching them when they learn something new when they're able to apply it on the game field or on the practice field, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it makes you proud as a coach that you, you taught them something and they're finally picking it up. Uh, but as for me, <laughs> I don't have any desire at all. I don't want to fall on the ground uh, anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but I hear the turf is so nice now. It's got the pellets nah, and all kinds nah. of stuff. It's good. Nah, nah, no. nah. That turf is still, it's still concrete under there. So I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> So when did coaching become something you thought would be a path for you? Because I, I know a lot of guys don't necessarily think about that, but it's a good way to stay involved with the game and, and be a mentor for these young men. When did when did that become reality for you? Uh, for me, it was when, um, I mean, I, I started coaching, uh, I retired in 20, I say 2011. Um, and I came back to St. Louis around 2012, Started coaching around 2013. Um, I always knew that I, I enjoy, you know, helping young men, helping helping kids 
through sports, through football. Um, and it, it's just something about being able to stay around the game that uh, even if you're not able to play, which, like I said, I'm, I have no desire to, uh, you can still get that competitive edge uh, by coaching and, and getting guys coached up in the right and doing the right thing. So uh, that was that was pretty much it. I, I love football. I love being around football. And I love helping these young men get better every single day. Uh, and that's what, like I said, that's what we strive to do. So, I mean, when you were in college, were you like, man, I want to come back and coach? I mean, you were as a kid, nah, as a hawk, like, jeez, I, I want to I be that the Hawks coach thing, one day. The only, you know what I did? I did kind of think that after I retired, maybe I would come back if, if the opportunity presented itself to uh, be the head coach uh, at Hazelwood Central. I thought that that would be awesome, seeing that's how I played there. That's where I grew up at. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was young, I had no intentions on coaching. I thought I was going to play football until I was 45 and <laughs> – you know, retire and never be heard from or seen again, just kind of laid back and, and chill and do my own thing. Um, but, you know, circumstances put you where you need to be. So I'm, I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to be around these young men, coaching them up uh, and, and getting them prepared. And you are the first black head coach at Hazelwood Central. We talked about mm-hmm. that after you got hired, but I am I'm curious, what it, what does that mean to you to, to, to have that, that position that you have now? Um, you know, I think just, just the opportunity to be the coach is an awesome thing. Uh, being the first black head coach is obviously something special. I, I went to Hazel Center. It's been around for a long, long time. Um, so, you know, I think it definitely, it was overdue, um, but I'm, I'm thankful to be the first one. Uh, and I know, I understand what that, what that is and what that means. And, um, you know, we got a lot of young kids that, that look like me, that, 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 looked like me when I was a kid. So to be able to coach young men uh, coming from the same circumstances that I grew up in, um, that they're going through now, it's, it's awesome for me to be able to help them and show them the ropes. Like I said, not just with football, uh, but with life. We talk mm-hmm. more about life sometimes than we do football uh, because, like I said, at some point this football thing is going to end. Um, and, and how will you be prepared for life after it's over? Well, I'm, you'd mentioned that the kids look like you did. How much does that matter having someone who looks like you in a position like this? I mean, who do you, I assume you remember who your first black head coach was. Did you ever have mm-hmm. a black head coach? Uh, in football, uh, Mike Tomlin. Well, oh, there you go. You had to get to the professional <laughs> level for that to yeah, even happen. I think my team, if, I, if I'm correct, yeah. First, in, well, obviously in, in Little League, but high school, college, uh, Mike Tomlin would be the first. Well, no, Tony Dungy. I I, I, my, I forgot I, that I played in Indy my rookie year. So okay. Um, so I had a, I've had a few uh, black head coaches. Um, but I think definitely for those young men, it it, it I, I hope that it means something to them um, to have someone you know to kind of be a role model to to those kids. Um, you know, no matter what their their living situation is at home, it's always good to have more positive role models around you, uh, talking to you every day, showing you the ropes, showing you what you need to do, what not to do, you know, how to handle yourselves in, in certain circumstances. So as far as that goes, I, I, I hope that, you know, they are, they are appreciative of that and thankful for that. And sometimes when you're, you know, 14, 16, 15, 16, 17, 18, you don't really understand it at that point. Um, but I know, I know a majority of them, once they become adults and they have their own families, uh, and they paying their own bills. <laughs> they will truly understand what it is we talk about and why we talk about it so much. 
So you would mention Pittsburgh was where you're at. You won a Super Bowl with the Steelers. I, I what does that mean to have that that Super Bowl ring? Because so many guys play for so long and never get that chance. And and you were you were fortunate enough to be a part of a team that did that. What does that mean, man? Uh, it's it's awesome, man. It's a blessing to be able to um, you know, say that I'm a Super Bowl champion. Say that our team conquered the, the the highest mountain that there is and we were able to uh do it as a team i think that's probably the most uh fulfilling part is is you and your teammates the journeys that you all go on the practices the the heat the cold <laughs> uh to finally win it is is just an amazing thing and like i said when you when you got a great group of guys like we did um it makes it that much more special because that those guys aren't teammates they're more like brothers they are brothers, um, and and to 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 have success with your brothers is a is, is an awesome time and an amazing thing. So when does the ring come out? Like class reunion, Super Bowl Sunday? Um, when when do you break that bad boy out? I imagine it's huge. I don't, I, if I go to events every now and then, I wear it. Um, I don't really, I don't, I don't wear it to any of the games or anything like that. Um, but just special events, I wear it. Um, if I have to put on a, a suit and tie, if I'm speaking to a group of kids, I'll bring it. Um, but for the most part, it, it, it stays tucked away and locked away in the safe. So it, it, it doesn't see too much, that much exposure, I guess. So every time you hang out with Coach Carl Reed, it, it doesn't come out and land on the table like, hey, nah, he hey already Reed, knows. How it goes. He already knows I'm a Super Bowl champion. I don't have to, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. He got he got a he got a different kind of ring that I'm searching for now. So he if I pull bind out, he's definitely gonna pull his state championship ring out. This is true. So what <laughs> what is it like trying to to get a football program back to where you want it? Because I I think a lot of folks when they get into the job you're in, they think they know what the job is like, but then it, it's yeah. not necessarily what they imagined it would be. What are some of the oh, things yeah. you found to be <laughs> enlightening in this in this head coaching gig? I, I kind of I think every head coach when it's their first time being a head coach is, is somewhat naive. Uh, you know, we kind of have these these thoughts of, oh, I'm just going to coach and it's going to be great. And you quickly realize there are so many more details and so many more things and and so many more items on your list that you have to check off before you actually get to coach. Um, you know, and and having having great assistance around definitely helps helps with that process because um, there there are sometimes it's just too many things for you to do by yourself. So. Um, making sure you have, have good assistance, great assistance that can help you and assist you in, in, in some of those tasks. Um, but yeah, just, just thinking that it was going to be coaching football and that would be it. And that would go on about my day. <laughs> I learned very quickly that, um, like I said, there, there are many things uh, that are required to be, to be the head of a program and to have a great program. I've heard paperwork is a big pain that that's a, mm. a, a lot yes, of that. That, that, that <laughs> that's some of it. <laughs> So and um, you 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 of I you're an Illinois guy and, and I know oh, yeah. the the Illini made their season debut Friday night so we appreciate mm-hmm. you checking in while your alma mater's playing but how do you feel right. about Lovey and and the St Louis guys who he's who he's pulled in to try and bring the Illini back to prominence Oh I'm definitely uh, excited about you know we going to a bowl game last year beat Wisconsin last year. 
had a great game against Michigan State um, and, and were able to win that. You know, when you're able to win those big games, I think Wisconsin was, was uh, I forget, top five at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely, it's definitely uh, a momentum booster and gets you going. So I'm, I'm excited about seeing them play this year and seeing what they're able to see, how they're able to build on what they did last year. Because uh, in, in, as, as you would assume, you would hope that it becomes much greater than it was the year before. So I'm definitely looking forward to it. So, and how, how many St. Louis guys did you have on the team when you were there? Was there a, a good presence, big presence? Were you one of a few? How did it look? Um, I, we had a good number of kids. I mean, it was a bunch of us. Um, and, and we all really played uh, pretty significant roles. I mean, we they were coming from left and right from St. Louis uh, when I was there and, and really before I got there, uh, some of those guys. And, and when I say St. Louis, I don't want to just make it seem like it's St. Louis because we consider East St. Louis and, mm-hmm. and you know, the, just the Metro East, all of, all of us there, uh, we, we really took pride in, in playing at Illinois um, and, and, you know, not going to that, that other school, uh, <laughs> West <laughs> going, going up to Illinois and, and, and making our stamp on things. It was, uh, it was definitely something we took pride in. I think those young men that have made that trek these last few years, um, are, are understanding, you know, what, what comes with that. So I'm, I'm curious as a guy who played at the high school, collegiate and professional level, just how different it is as you transition between each of them. Like, what was that like as a player going from the high school to the college and then the college level to the pro level? Just, just what, what was it like? The, uh, well, I, I tell people the, the difference when you're in high school, you're the, you're the man, you know, you, you, you're that guy mm-hmm. most times. And you, you get a scholarship to go to a, a big time school. Uh, and you still, you still may be, a guy, but there are, there are more guys now. Like there are more, more guys that are able to, you know, do things you can do and some can do things better than you can do. Um, and then when you get to that, that last level, everybody can do it. Uh, when you make it to the NFL, I think the the biggest, um, the most noticeable thing for me when I, my first NFL practice, I had never seen a uh, defensive lineman run as fast as those guys were running. Mm. And I mean, they were 300 pounds and they were flying. I'm like, oh, my God, this is this is definitely different. Um, you know, you expect the skill guys, the linebacker safeties to be fast. Well, you got a 330 pound man that is stronger and, and almost as fast as you. It's it's, uh, it's it's something to look at. So definitely as you as you progress, um, the game just gets gets that much better and, and you have to be that much more efficient in everything you do what you could have got away with in high school um you couldn't get away with in college and what you got away with in college you definitely couldn't get away with uh in the nfl so you had to be on point on par of, of everything that you were doing uh and making sure that you were were prepared and ready to go at all times well I, what is that like at the professional level i mean how much are you studying opponents and film i mean is that is that like an eight hour day what does that look like <laughs> so i tell it, it was it, that was funny because i always well what do you got to do tomorrow i got to go to work in the morning you gotta go to work you play football uh no i work like this is a job <laughs> you just play football all day nah that's not what it is um so you know our days would, would start at seven and sometimes you wouldn't be done till six or seven p.m uh, depending on what you had to do, whether it was 
watching film, studying film, um, you know, lifting, taking care of your body, watching more film, practice is thrown in there as well. Uh, so it would it would be it would be some long days, and then you would go home and and if you were able to maybe watch a little bit more if you were 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 uh, up to it or had the time to to watch a little bit more of of what was what your opponent was going to be doing or in your playbook looking at what they like to do the blitzes that they may run or you know the coverages that they 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 major in. So it was uh it was some long days, long nights, um, but like I said, it was it was definitely worth it. So and you were a fullback at the. At the collegiate and professional level, yes. Yep. Well, so, I played. I played both. I played halfback and, and fullback. Um, but when I got to Pittsburgh, they moved me to, to fullback completely. So, and what is that like going from a guy who would get some carries here and there to being a fullback, where you're you're basically a, a, a sixth lineman clearing spaces most of the time? Um, humbling, <laughs> but I think. You know, it's it's one of the things that, that football teaches you is it's about the team. It's about winning games. It's about doing whatever is required um, to be successful. And I think I, I think football is the greatest game there is because your name may not be attached to it, you know, as far as stats go, as far as, you know, who scored or, or who threw, you know, the touchdown or, or caught a touchdown at times. You may you may find yourself in that category, but you still have a vast impact on the game by by your play. And if you don't if you don't block well, you know your running back's not going to run well. And so you take pride in in your job and and doing it well, and and making sure that you know maybe people out there might not know, but my teammates definitely do, and the people that I play against definitely do. And that is more important, you know, that the your peers and how they look at you definitely weighs more than what anybody else could ever say about you. Mm. So I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about your Hawks and and who's going to be good for you this spring. So, so who, are me, who are some of your guys that you're looking forward to seeing what they can do uh, when the Hawks take the field? We gotta. We I I, I won't say any names because I don't know who's listening. <laughs> I'm very uh, I'm very uh, you know I'm just a little little. I guess a little leery of, of I don't want anybody having any heads up. I, I'm, sure. I'm kind of Belichickian in that Belichickian in that in that way, I guess. Um, but now we got a we got a good group of guys. Um, I will tell you, one of our kids, Kyle Long, committed to uh, University of Maryland, mm-hmm. so I'm extremely excited for him uh, and and you know watching him continue to grow. Uh, and then we we we've got some other kids that are you know still in the process of. of uh, attaining some some college scholarships that'll be 2021s. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing those kids get their opportunities. Um, and, and just really overall, just watching all of our kids grow and, and, and watching them become the young men that they're going to be in life and seeing them, you know, five, 10 years from now, uh, you know, hopefully we, we had a, a great impact on their lives and they're doing great things. Excellent. Well, Kerry Davis, Super Bowl champ and Hazelwood Central football coach, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Hazelwood Central football coach Kerry Davis for joining the show. Before we get to Steve Overby and his interesting week, I want to take a moment to tell you about all the great content waiting for you on stlhighschoolsports.com. This week, we had spotlight stories on both the Webster Groves and Marquette softball teams as they prepare to put their seasons on the line in the state semifinals. Ben Vessa has been all over the field hockey playoffs. Our main man, Wild Bill Hester, has you covered for all things tennis. 
Our football notebook runs every Tuesday with news and tidbits. You need to stay up on all the action on the gridiron. This week we featured Seckman's historic run of wins and its record-breaking sophomore quarterback. Our Friday football spotlight took a look at prep casts and how streaming has become such a vital part of the fan experience in these coronavirus times and how it will now be a pay-per-view experience for the playoffs in Missouri. All of that and more than two decades' worth of stats are waiting for you at stlhighschoolsports.com and in your St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I'm now joined by Steve Overby, who covers a variety of athletic endeavors for us at stlhighschoolsports.com. This week, we're talking softball to start, Steve. What's going on in softball, man? Well, uh, thanks for having me on, Dave. We are back to the Final Four in softball. The semifinals will be tomorrow at uh, host sites, and then the winners play next weekend in Springfield. Uh, This area's got four teams remaining, including Webster Groves, which travels to Summit for a showdown in Class 4 to reach the title game. Both teams playing pretty well. It should be a good one. And who's leading the charge at Webster? Our spotlight story this week was on uh, a couple of their pitchers. Yeah, they have uh, three pitchers, but one is uh, pulled away from the pack. Maddie Buskey, she's 10-1 and one with a 1-3-7 ERA. She struck out 12 Farmington hitters last night in a uh, two-hitter in their 5-1 win over the Knights that moved them into the Final Four for the first time in school history. And the Statesmen have a great battery. Buskey is a top-notch pitcher, and she throws to Hannah Jansen, a catcher who's also a state wrestling champion, but she's going to Florida International to continue her softball career as a catcher. So they've got a monster battery and uh, they beat summit earlier in the year, 14 to nine. So they have an advantage and they're really rolling. They've won nine out of their last 10. So it'll be interesting tomorrow at summit. That'll be the uh, big class four, a game in class five Marquette, which has reached the final four for the second year in a row and the fourth time in six seasons, they traveled to Rockbridge to take on Columbia Rockbridge, which is a monster at 27 and 0. They've scored 10 runs or more in 18 games and they are just sailing. So Marquette's got its work cut out. And that Rockbridge team, uh, they took out Fort Zumwalt West in, in the in the sectional or the quarterfinal? Uh, that would be the quarterfinal. Three to two, a closest game. Uh, West gave them their biggest challenge of the year so far. Julia Crenshaw, the Parkway West shorts or the uh, Zumwalt West shortstop, who's bound for Mizzou, had a yep. home run in that game, and they threw a scare into a into the Bruins. That's the first time they were ever tied that late. Rockbridge scored a run in the bottom of the sixth on a two-out triple. So they made uh, Zumwalt West and hold their heads high. They made uh, they made the Bruins sweat for the first time this season. So you mentioned that the games are being played at host sites. This is the first time in a long time, for sure, that the uh, the, the semifinals and finals aren't being played all together at one facility. Yeah, for COVID strength, they don't want, for COVID reasons, they don't want, you know, four teams in five classes, 20 teams converging on Springfield. So they'll play the finals Thursday, Friday, and Saturday of next week. And more than likely, most teams are just going to drive down, play, and come back up. So that's the plan. The Webster winner, the winner of Webster Summit, will play on Friday. And if Marquette were to win, they would also play on Friday. So we could have a couple teams playing for a state championship. Forgot to mention Sullivan in Class 3. They're also in the Final Four. They'll host Bowling Green tomorrow. And this uh, Sullivan team has really uh, uh, made some major strides. They're missing three starters due to COVID, which has hit the school rather heavily. But they're still forging ahead. And uh, they've got their work cut out with Bowling Green tomorrow. But uh, Sullivan's uh, reached the Final Four, and they've got a shot. 
Sullivan football team is missing its second week this week due to quarantine issues. Hoping to be back for week 10 because once you hit postseason, if you have to quarantine and can't play, you have to forfeit and it's over. So good luck to the Sullivan Eagles. Volleyball is also on tap this week, Steve, and and you talked about it earlier in, in a previous episode, but there is one district in particular that is super stacked. What are we talking about? Class 5, District 3 down at Borgia. This is amazing. The four teams in this are Borgia, Lafayette, Washington, and Eureka. And in Tuesday's semifinals, mind you, a district semifinal, Lafayette plays Eureka in a rematch of the 2018 state final, which Eureka won 25-23, 25-23. So in a district semifinal, you're going to get a rematch of what was a state final two years ago. Just crazy. And Borgia plays Washington in that other semi on Tuesday, which Washington could upset them. That's within the realm of possibility. Then whoever survives these great semifinal matches will play for the championship on Thursday. So it's going to be a wild volleyball weekend in Washington. It's going to be crazy. And what other districts do you have your eyes on as as postseason gets rolling? Well, I'll tell you what, St. Dominic in Class 5 is a team to watch. They have uh, they played very well. They're uh, balanced. they got a good attack, led by the Weber girl up front. Uh, they should be tough. They've been moved up to Class 5, so that might, uh, might pose a uh, stopping point. But so far, they've had a great regular season. Uh, St. Pius, a traditional Class 2 power, has been bumped up twice. They are in Class 4. And they will end up playing Hillsboro probably in the final at Hillsboro on Thursday night. That'd be interesting. St. Pius is very, very good. And I'm not sure the class hike is going to hurt them too much. Other class four teams to watch, Incarnate Word, they'll probably be playing in the final of their own regional on uh, Tuesday or Thursday. Uh, Lutheran St. Charles also deserves a watch in class four. Mm. Class five, um, the monsters at Borgia are going to knock each other around and we'll see what happens there. But whoever gets out of that will be uh, in pretty good shape. Class two features O'Fallon Christian. They're capable of making some noise. They host their own uh, district final. And that'll be Wednesday at six. So keep an eye on O'Fallon Christian. Class three, pretty wide open. Uh, visitation, Herman, all, uh, all got a chance. Herman's got tradition on its side. Mm-hmm. And we'll see how that one shakes out. But uh, big weekend in volleyball. And then we go right to sectionals and quarterfinals over the weekend. So it'll be a seven or eight day period. It'll be pretty crazy. Have they announced what state's going to look like for volleyball yet? We've talked about potentially what it could be in the past. So far, I have not heard anything. I, I guess they're going to stick with the plan of years past. They've actually changed the format where there's no pool play anymore. It'll be just a semifinal, two semifinals on Friday, and then a championship game on Saturday. So instead of playing all three teams in your class in a two-game pool play match, it's a basic semifinal, final format. But as of now, they're all going down to Cape to – Show me center, and they'll they'll meet and knock it out there. So we'll see how that uh, how that shakes out. So next week, what do you got on tap? Lots of volleyball, some softball. What's it look yeah. like? Yeah, lots of volleyball. A couple softball features. We'll see what shakes out with uh, Webster and Summit, and uh, we will be covering a volleyball regional final Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday somewhere, and uh, football Friday, and then move into Saturday uh, sectional volleyball. Busy busy week, my man. It's a good time of year for that. Thanks, Steve, for dropping by with your interesting week. We appreciate it. Nope. Thanks for having me, Dave. Thanks again to Steve Overby for sharing his interesting week and giving us the lowdown on softball and volleyball here in the area. Up next, Paul Kopsky is going to run down the scoreboard and highlight performances right after this break. 
And now, Paul Kopsky's here with the scoreboard and highlight performances. All right, thank you, Dave. Lafayette wins its third straight, 33-23 over Summit. Blake Mysick, five TD passes for Lafayette. Coach Boyd Manny talks about the keys to the win. I think in the second half, one of the big things is they got the ball on offense and we forced a three and out, and then uh, we scored the next drive, and then uh, you know we had uh, T.J. Bright busted a long, uh, long screen pass um, uh, reception, and and you know I, I think we just we made some uh, we made some key stops when we uh, we needed to, and we moved the ball when we needed to. Elsewhere, CBC over Chaminade, forty-nine to nineteen. Kirkwood defeats Eureka, twenty-eight to seventeen. Cannon Neslich passed for two hundred seventy-six yards and a pair of TDs. Fort Zumwalt North, a winner over Marquette, thirty-five to sixteen. St. Mary's edges Trinity, thirty-six to thirty-five. Slew downed Vianney, twenty to three. In overtime, it was Francis Howell over Rockbridge, twenty-seven to twenty-one. It was Lutheran St. Charles defeating Troy 40-7. Parkway North rolls past Parkway West 42-7. Northwest Cedar Hill defeated Oakville 42-7. Trey Davis threw for 200 yards and four touchdowns. Timberland rolls over Fort Zumwalt South 35-6. Josh Gibbs with three touchdowns. Lindbergh, a winner over Parkway Central, 49-6. Logan Kopp rushed for 209 yards and two touchdowns. Fox edges Ledoux, 28 to 26. It was Helias over Cardinal Ritter, 27 to 18. Borgia, a big winner over Herman, 42 to 7. Sam Hegeman with three TD passes for Borgia. Lutheran South snapped a 14-game losing streak with a 29 to 28 win over Windsor. It was DeSoto defeating Potosi handily 33 to 6. Segman blanked Parkway South 33 to nothing. Warrington gets by Mexico 29 to 26. Washington rolls over Francis Howell Central 41 to 14. Jefferson 35, St. Vincent 28. It was Duchenne upending Orchard Farm 19 to 14. Fort Zumwalt East shut out St. Charles 35 to nothing. Tyler Lindemann, three touchdowns. Festus blanks St. Charles West, 55 to nothing. It was Crystal City edging Portageville, 34 to 32. St. Clair outscored Owensville, 58 to 20. Grandview, 37. Chaffee, 20. Cape Central, a winner over Francis Howell North, 38 to 21. The Melville-Webster game was canceled because of COVID concerns, and Webster has canceled the rest of its season. And in a Thursday game, Fort Zumwalt West defeated Jeff City 23-20. And that's a look at the scoreboard. Thanks to Paul Kopsky for bringing us all the scores and highlight performances on a busy Friday night. Quick clarification, because Webster Groves will not play in Week 10, it will forfeit its postseason as districts get underway. However, the Statesmen are still scheduled to play Kirkwood in the annual Turkey Day game when we get to November. And under Missouri State High School Activities Association rules, you can still play teams up until you reach the max number of weeks together in a regular season because the Statesmen, like so many other teams in St. Louis County, did not begin on time. They have weeks to play, so they could play exhibition games against other teams if other teams are willing all the way up until the state championship weekend. It's just another part of playing games in these days and times. What a crazy year 2020 has been. Up next, we're going to check in with our intrepid reporters who are out covering ball games. Up first is Kirkwood and Eureka. Then we're going to segue to Marquette in Fort Zumwalt North. And then we're going to wrap the night 
with the big game at Francis Howell as Rockbridge came calling in what turned out to be an overtime thriller. Stick around. We've got more coming up here on the STLHighSchoolSports.com Friday Night Football Show. I'm now joined by Paul Halfacre, who was over at Kirkwood for the big Eureka Kirkwood football game tonight. Saw a pretty good ball game, Paul, between these two rival schools. What was shaking out at the wood? Uh, a, a, actually, in the first half, not a lot. But in the fourth quarter, in the last three minutes of the game, a lot happened. Um, basically, if you left before the last three minutes of the game, you missed all of the game. What what, what happened in going into those three minutes? What was the game looking like? So it was, I believe it was 14 to 10 Kirkwood and Eureka had engineered a long punishing drive. They were on the two yard line and they punched it in on fourth and fourth and two to give themselves the 17 to 14 lead. But 10 seconds later, uh, Cannon Nestledge, the quarterback for Kirkwood found Jalen Phipps for a 67 yard touchdown. And then 10 seconds after that, the, a pick six by Asher Weinberg mm. uh, basically sealed the game. So, so within the span of what did you, you said about forty-five seconds, there were three touchdowns. Yeah, yeah, it was about 30, 30 to forty seconds, and it was about a twenty-one point swing. So, Cannon Nestledge is one of the uh, better quarterbacks playing this year. One of the better seniors in the area. He was a third-team All Metro guy last year. Because um, Kirkwood's offense is engineered around passing. Last week they had their first hundred-yard rusher this season, and it was only the second time they had a hundred-yard rusher uh, between 2019 and obviously the abbreviated 2020. So, what was when when he hit Phipps? Were they going long, or was Phipps having to do some work through the secondary and take it to the house? It was a. It, it looked like a little bit of a five or six-yard slant, and that Phipps just using in a, a different gear because as soon as he got to the second level, he was gone. And and was he able to break free any parts of the other night or, or was, was that just the first time he really shook loose? He w- That was actually the first time he kind of shook loose. Uh, he did score earlier in the, in the fourth quarter. Uh, Nestledge escaped what should have been a sack and he escaped and found Phipps and probably the best throw of the night. It was just a, laser seven yard dart straight to Phipps who just waltzed into the end zone. Yeah, Cannon is he's not afraid to take a hit and and he'll he'll make a play when he can. I mean he's he's pretty good at this. Eureka's offense is it, it like you said it's got a punishing running game with Jakari Parks, but they've also got Carter Davis at quarterback who's broken almost all their passing records uh, coming into his senior season. So what was the Eureka offense able to do against the Kirkwood defense? It was, I mean, they, they had their running game, but it was very much a grinded out um, affair for, for Eureka's offense. Carter Davis was kind of bottled up, in, or that passing game was kind of bottled up. Uh, I do want to mention that Carter Davis was wearing number 28, and I yes. believe that is a... A special number for the Eureka football team. Yeah, that's a number they rotate in honor of one of their former players who died in service uh, for his country, and and that's a big deal when 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 you get to wear that twenty eight. I don't I don't think a whole lot of guys ever get to wear that twice. So for Davis to do that in the week nine, they must have been waiting on it because he's a guy who would have been honored with that at some point, and they waited until tonight. So yeah, that's a big that's a big deal for the Wildcats. 
but uh, Parks, he, he carried the rock. I mean, he's he's probably going to be very sore tomorrow because he took some punishing hits from Kirkwood, but he delivered a couple as well. So, But he finished with, I believe, 96 yards on 25 carries. So Eureka's uh, defense was kind of a question mark coming into the season. It sounded like up until the end of the game, they really were able to keep you know, Phipps and Will Lee, who's a big explosive presence for the Pioneers, and Neslidge under wraps. For the first three quarters, that defense was very solid. It was a very defensive. If you're a football quote-unquote purist who likes defense, you would have loved the first three quarters because Kirkwood and Eureka showcased some really good defense. Uh, and then in the fourth quarter, it just Kirkwood, uh, Neslidge found just enough holes, and Phipps and Number eight, I, I believe, uh, Lee, uh, just got enough hole, just found enough room to run and managed to break free. Uh, the first half, Kirkwood only managed like 89 yards of offense, but they ended up finishing with nearly 380 in, for the game. Wow, that's a big second half. Yeah. So, so in the fourth quarter, the, the Pioneers put up 21 points. Do I have that right? Yep. Fantastic. Well, thanks, Paul, for checking in. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm now joined by Ben Vessa, who was out in O'Fallon checking out the Marquette for Zumwalt North ball game tonight. It, coming in was a battle of two ranked teams, a, a two a really great matchup on paper. How'd it turn out, Ben? Yeah, it uh, it really was a, a, a great matchup in terms of diverse styles. I think Marquette just big up front um, and also, you know, defensively um, and, and for Zumwalt North uh, speed, you know, so it was kind of a power running game that uh, Marquette would have and, and a speed running game and, uh, and see which one was going to win. And uh, it was for Zumwalt North tonight, 35, uh, 16, uh, their speed in terms of being able to spread out, uh, the Marquette defense and as Marquette had to cover sideline to sideline. They run these sweeps and, and they seem to have four or five just speedsters that run these sweeps. Um, and then it opens up stuff up the middle with their, with their quarterback, Jack Newcomb, who, uh, who had two touchdown runs tonight. Um, so the four Zumwalt North offense was really tough for Marquette to, to kind of stay up with. Uh, and then Marquette kind of, uh, uh, you know, shot themselves in the foot a little bit on some drives. They, they complete about 75% of the drive. Uh, they, they, they miss, uh, mishandled two, um, field goal attempts. Uh, the snap was a little wide, the, the hold didn't go down. So they didn't even get a field goal attempt off twice. They had three turnovers, uh, which is something that the Fort Zumwalt North defense is kind of, uh, known for they you know 16 fumble recoveries already this year for that defense and they uh they got they got three more uh, turnovers tonight so um it could have been a high scoring game marquette just could not finish their drives and for zumwalt north uh prevails 35 16 zumwalt north is is the king of st charles counties probably being uh, the last five six seven years they've been really really good and that offense, no matter who they have, that program finds a way to, you know, they run the ball really well. They don't throw it a whole lot, but I, I know Newcomb has slung it a little bit. He's got weapons. 
So what it, they they kind of showcased that early on. What happened on the first play of the game? Yeah, uh, first play of the game, Chris Futrell, who had missed the last two games, uh, got the first handoff, went up the middle, um, broke a tackle at the linebacker position, and uh, had a secondary member grab onto his shirt, and he escaped that, and he was gone. 62-yard touchdown run mm. on the first play of the game. Uh, Futrell was his 14th touchdown of the year, so you kind of expect him. Uh, their second touchdown run by Kylan Watson, a, a junior who he had three carries for four yards coming into the game. Uh, and I talked to him afterward. He said they, they audible. He was on one side and it was supposed to be a sweep to somebody else. And they audible and it was coming to him. And he said, Hey, this is, you know, it was, it, it was a really cool interview. It's one of those that, that, you know, you could see the kid beaming and he says, <laughs> you know what? I, I, I thought here's where all this hard work comes in and I'm taking this to the end zone. And he did, he took it at 19 yards uh, for a touchdown. He added a 20-yard run uh, later in the in the half, uh, so he had a nice day too. That's what's up. Uh, so that was it was uh, it was 14 uh, nothing early, but then it was the you know Christopher Cray Marquette. Uh, Cray had 36 carries, uh, sorry 38 carries, 266 yards tonight. Uh, 11th time in the last 15 games he's gone over 200 yards uh, rushing, and uh, he had 140. 13 in the first quarter, 179, I think, at the half, um, and scored a touchdown, vintage Cray style, where he breaks a tackle and then drags some guys to the two yard line and then dives. It just won't be denied, you know, dives over the goal line and scores. Um, and they kicked a field goal, 14 10. Uh, but then Newcomb ran in a touchdown, make it 21 10 at the end of the half. And then he did start throwing the ball. Second, he hadn't completed, he was 0 for 2 in the first half throwing but in the second half he came out it was a really windy day so it's tough to throw anyway but he hit uh, Tyler Oaks on a 30-yard pass um, and it was a full 30 yards that he threw it that uh, that Oaks was along the sideline and caught it and then uh, one play later um, he hit Chris uh, Reckel for a 29-yard uh, touchdown pass on a post uh, Newcomb said he had seen the, the safety in this this formation that they would run uh, he saw the safeties kept moving up, up, and uh, he decided to take a shot there to open the third quarter, and that made it twenty-eight to ten. And you know Marquette, you know, they like to, you know, they they come back to, you know, they we talked the one day they they came back from a thirty-four-seven second half uh, deficit against Kirkwood. Yeah. Well, it looked the same thing that that started on a fake punt that night, or I, I mean on a block punt that night. Uh, tonight is Zoom Walt North tried to fake a punt from around midfield and Marquette stopped them. Uh, and the momentum's kind of swung. Marquette went down and scored a touchdown, another Cray touchdown run, made it 28, 16. Um, and it was like, here we go again. That's all they needed was that spark. Uh, but, uh, but Zumwalt North had a nice time consuming drive. Newcomb on a fourth and one ran for about 12 yards. And then he eventually, uh, eventually punched it in again. Uh, for the touchdown to make it 35-16, and they held on from there. But, uh, but yeah, it almost looked like it, another uh, another spark and another Marquette comeback was uh, was about to happen there early in the fourth quarter. But Zumwalt North stemmed the tide. So Zumwalt North gets a bye next week as the district tournaments get underway. They get to take a week off, 
and, and, and get ready for whoever they would see. Marquette is in a tough district. They got a Francis Howell team that won in overtime tonight against Rockbridge. That includes a CBC and DeSmet, both in that district as well. CBC with a big win over Chaminade tonight. Uh, DeSmet did not play, could not find an opponent, wasn't necessarily all that interested in opponent. Uh, they're just trying to get uh, into the postseason bracket because they came out tonight. Webster Groves is not going to play in the postseason. They had to quarantine for tonight's game against Melville and will not be available for Week 10, so they're postseason is over they still have turkey day on the docket but um, back to marquette I, i'm curious what it's like when cray gets the ball all the time you've seen them a couple times everybody yeah. knows he's getting it everybody watches the film the one night against kirkwood he had 51 carries <laughs> what do you see these defenses doing and everybody knows it's coming and it's been very effective for them what do you see when you're watching these defenses try to limit him yeah, you know, they were, you know, everyone is within, you know, six yards of the line of scrimmage. You know, the safeties are, are creeping up and they, you're right, they know it's coming. And uh, both of these teams, uh, Fort Zumwalt North and Marquette, I think, uh, will just so much believe in what they're doing and that if they do it right and do their jobs, that they're going to be successful no matter what the defense does. Uh, and, yeah, and they give it to Cray, and he, you know, he rattles off a big run after big run. Um, and you're right; they just uh, they just block it well. There's not a ton of of misdirection or oops, I thought he was going this way, and he went this way. No, it's you know, it's straight up. Here it is. Here he comes, and uh, he just turns out the yardage. He's a tough runner. He does not. You can't arm tackle him. Like right. that's I think where people go wrong is that they they think he's going to go down when you get your hands on him and he uh, he very rarely takes a big hit he shakes off tackles one at a time and uh, and I think he maybe lost yards one time tonight um, but he's a tough runner there and it's interesting you know you talk about the the quarantining and stuff you you know you you wonder about a team that has just that kind of that one guy and you, and you hope that, uh, that, that, that doesn't become a situation where, you know, their whole offense falls apart. If something like that, if, you know, some sort of, he was around somebody that was, you know, had, had exposure or something, something like that. Um, the Fort Zumwalt North philosophy of just giving the ball, um, you know, six guys had over, had eight carries or more tonight. Uh, they gave the ball to it looks like seven different players uh, mm. to run the ball. So, so it's kind of you don't know who's getting the ball there, and there's a lot of uh, uh, there's a lot of deception and, and a lot of uh, speed one side and speed to the other side, and then they sneak some runs up the middle. So, um, so two kind of different philosophies offensively in the running game, but both of them are are tremendously effective. Uh, both teams ran, uh, you know, for over. Uh, over 260 yards tonight on the ground. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it was enjoyable to watch. First real cold night of the season. Felt like football weather out there. I know, yeah. I was on the sideline with my gloves on for the most part <laughs> and my hat. Yeah, it was it was chilly. I think it's just going to get uh, get colder from here. But uh, It's it hard good. to tweet with gloves on. 
<laughs> I know. My tweets were not, I hope no one was really following me closely because it was maybe at the end of each quarter. I would, uh, I would throw a tweet in and then throw the gloves right back on my hand. Well, stay warm, Ben. Thanks so much as always. We appreciate it. Uh, you got it, Dave. Thank you. I'm now joined by Greg Upton, who was out at Francis Howell for the big Rockbridge Howell ball game, which was uh, one of the best games of the night. Greg, what was happening out at Howell? Yeah, it really was, Dave. It was a, it was a great ball game. Uh, two uh, good teams, two teams that are usually you know up there among the uh, perennial uh, powerhouse teams in Class Six in the state, and, and they didn't disappoint tonight. They've had some good matchups. Uh, over the last few years, and, and this one was another one, a, definitely a classic that you want to put in the book between the old uh, coaching buddies, good friends, Van Veneta from Rockbridge right. and Brent Shinaki from Francis Holland. It was the uh, Vikings who came away with the come-from-behind 27-21 victory in overtime. They tied the ball game with 18 seconds left on a fourth-and-goal play at the two, and then they end up winning it on their first possession in overtime after getting a big defensive stop. So a lot of uh, a lot of fun things for the uh, fans that were in attendance here tonight. So take me through the drive in the fourth quarter that got Howell into OT. Absolutely. So Rockbridge was up 21-14, uh, to 14 and they got the ball with uh, – let me grab my notes here. They got the ball back <laughs> with uh, well, about six minutes left, so about halfway – through the uh, quarter, got it on the how, and then and they got it on the Howell 39 after a punt that didn't go very far uh, from Alex Pipes, who is a pretty good punter. Even though he's the quarterback, and he's a pretty good punter. And by the way, just as an aside, he throws the ball with his right hand and kicks the ball with his left foot. You don't see that a whole lot. No, you don't. <laughs> but he actually uh, kind of injured his ankle earlier. He was hobbling around for quite a bit in that third and fourth quarter there, and I think that may have affected him on that punt. But anyway, Rockbridge took over pretty good field position and they chewed up some some clock and they chewed up uh, some yardage they chewed up about four minutes off the clock and they got it all the way down to the uh 12 yard line but then the francis Hall defense came through with a huge sack on third down and so uh rockbridge decided to uh, go for a field goal they have a pretty good field goal kicker in jack bauer um but his uh 34 yard field goal attempt never got off because there was a high snap on the uh on the uh, play. So Rockbridge had a chance to salt the victory. If they get that and he kicks it through, it's a 10 point game with 2:26 to go. And it's probably going to be a victory, but mm-hmm. the Vikings get, got a new life and they went uh, down 71 yards and, and scored in uh, nine plays to win it. So they had a couple of really good plays on the drive. There was a 20 yard catch by Brett Norfleet, the great tight end. And then Taj Gurley, who had had a pretty quiet night up till that point, came down with a huge 45-yard catch in double coverage. That got them all the way down to the six-yard line. Mm-hmm. So it was first and goal from the six. Uh, they, and it looked like they had a, a touchdown a little bit earlier uh, with well over a minute to go, but it was called back because of a holding penalty. So that kind of set them back a little bit. But they, uh, they eventually got the ball down uh, to the five. Then they ran another play, got it to the, down to the two. So it was fourth and goal uh at the two and so it was do or die obviously and and alex pipes in the backfield kind of running around a little bit finally found his man jack meyer in the end zone he comes down with it and the extra point ties it up at 21 with 18 seconds to go and that's what sent us into overtime to begin with so overtime it's it's college rules in a way it's it's everybody gets an opportunity 25 yard uh, line going in who got the ball to start ot 
Yeah, it had it. It, it was. Uh, it's been a while since I've uh, seen or covered a game high school wise in overtime, so I had to kind of brush up on it a little bit there. But uh, so, how won the toss? And you know, obviously, when you win the toss, you usually want to go on defense first because you want to know what you're going to have to do on offense, and that's exactly what the Vikings did. And uh, in that extra session, they uh, were able to stop the running back. Uh, Jackson on a, on a nice play to start things for no gain. And then three straight incompletions, including one on fourth down mm. that uh, turned the ball back over to the Vikings with no harm done. And uh, so they really got it done defensively when they needed to uh, in that stretch. And then boom, boom, boom. It was three plays, a 14 yard run by Alex pipes, a nine yard run from uh, Brady Holtman, who is the uh, backup running back, but he was the, uh, man tonight and uh, Alex Pipes with the two-yard touchdown run uh, to win it in overtime. Wow. So no Dane train, no Dane Norman no, tonight. No Dane train. Dane, Dane uh, The Dane train was derailed by quarantine, so he's out uh, along with several key starters for the Vikings. They were, they were down quite a few starters between just quarantine and just, you know, regular injury. And he was obviously the biggest one among them when he has, you know, two straight – 200-yard rushing efforts uh, a couple weeks ago against Holton. Cardinal Ritter, you know, he's got you know, well over 500 yards in the last three outings and almost 1,000 yards this season. So, you know, they were without him tonight, and, and it showed. I mean, you know, you had a couple guys who haven't had a whole lot of uh, experience running the ball. Brady Holton's a sophomore. Mark Harden came in for a little change of pace. Uh, the Vikings were only able to muster 100 yards rushing, which, you know, on on the surface sounds pretty good, but when you think about how much they usually rush for a game, then it's it's kind of paltry in comparison. But Dane will get that get, in a half. <laughs> yeah, right. But it was enough to get the job done in the end. And uh, so you know those guys stepped up in the absence. But yeah, it was it was a huge loss not having uh, the Dane train out there tonight. And and Rockbridge was able to take advantage of that a little bit and uh, really kind of slow down the running game tonight. So any any word on whether those guys will be around for for first round of districts or is that TBD? Um, it, yeah, it's it's TBD, but I, it's word was pretty sure that they probably will not be able to because I think it's a pretty new thing. So mm. uh, they were, I think they're planning on not having those guys for the that first round game next week. So um, you know that could be a, a huge, obviously, difference maker when you don't have a, a stud like him. And, in the backfield and then some of your other guys that you're missing uh could be a could be a key difference come district time and their district we've talked about this before is loaded yeah. it's got DeSmet, yeah. it's got cbc it's got marquette and because of the standings they're not factoring in how many games you played mm. so that has kind of got things uh, thrown off from what you might think they would be <laughs> yeah so they could draw a really tough opponent first week just because <laughs> right. these things are goofy Right, you never know, and and uh, you know they were. I haven't, I didn't get a chance to look at the standings coming in, but I mean they were, well, you know, up up in the press box, they were worried that you know if they did end up losing this game when it was looking pretty grim, that hey, we may not even not even have a, a home playoff game next week, and I don't know how it'll shake out. You know, it's, they still may, they may not. I don't know. The the win will obviously help uh, their cause. They should hopefully be okay. They were aided by Marquette losing tonight. I guess that that helps a little bit too, um, but. Uh, they were definitely worried that uh, they might not even get a home game next week. So we'll just kind of have to see all that shakes out. But yeah, with with all those tough teams in the district, yeah, you you may end up with a yeah three six or a four five, but against a team that may may not normally be in that position, and 
uh, if you don't have your uh, your stud mainstay back there, it's going to make it uh, all that much tougher. Next man up. You had mentioned yep. Brett Chinaki and Van Venetta were long yep. buddies, both Hazelwood Central coaches at one yeah. point. And and tonight's featured guest is Hazelwood Central coach Carrie Davis. So it's a uh-huh. very Hazelwood Central episode. There you go. How about that? Perfect. And as a Hazelwood East Spartan, were you, are you okay with those guys, or do you, they still make you crabby? I know. Well, it's uh, it's been uh, 30 years this year since I've roamed <laughs> the uh, halls of uh, Hazelwood East, so I guess it's uh, uh, I can I can let it uh, let it go a little bit. And, you know, I like those guys. I, those guys are you know a couple of my favorite coaches. Uh, both Van, I don't get to see him that much, uh, you know, every so often when Rockridge comes to town and then obviously Brent, two great guys and Kerry Davis, a great guy. So, you know, it's, it's, it's good that they, uh, are able to continue that success for him. So it, it's okay. I, I'm, okay. I'm okay with it now. Well, good to know that those grudges don't always last. <laughs> right. Right. Fantastic. Well, Greg Upton, thank you so much for joining the show. We appreciate it. Great work as always. All right. My pleasure. Thanks. And that'll do it for this episode of the STLHighSchoolSports.com Friday Night Football Show. I want to say thank you again to our guest this evening, Hazelwood Central football coach and Super Bowl champion, Kerry Davis, for giving us his time. And as always, we appreciate Steve Overby for sharing his interesting week, Paul Kopsky for bringing us the scoreboard and highlight performances, and our intrepid reporters, Paul Halfacre, Ben Vessa, and Greg Upton, who are out covering games. You can read all their work at STLHighSchoolSports.com and in the Saturday St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll talk to you next week.